Packers Daily with Jason Mertides. And welcome to your Friday, November 6th edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. Bill Meltzer going to join us in just a moment as we get underway here in this episode. Again, if you've missed any of the past episodes, we had some really cool guests on in the past week. Morgan Frost and Lena Sandine joined us on Wednesday's episode. Uh, on Monday's episode, Scott Gordon, Flyers interim coach uh, a year and a half ago, I guess it was now, and coach of the Lehigh Valley Phantoms, joined us on Monday. Also, Elaine Vino joined us a week ago today as well, so you can go back and check out all those episodes. Also, leave us a rating and review. That helps other Flyer fans find this podcast. A lot to get into with Bill Meltzer, and he joins us now. You read his work on PhiladelphiaFlyers.com, NHL.com, and HockeyBuzz.com, and he joins us now. Bill, how you doing? Uh, I'm doing well, Jason. How about you? I'm doing good as well. Um, I'm missing hockey, as I know you are. I mean, we've yeah. talked about that in, in your past uh, appearances. And uh, we're kind of waiting for the the return to play committee to, I guess, to be formally announced and hear that conversations are going on. I know some informal conversations apparently have happened with upwards of 10 players as part of a return to play committee. Uh, but, Bill, I see see today in news that comes out from Sham Sharania, who covers the NBA, that the NBA is uh, aiming to have arena suites open to fans at 25 to 50% capacity for the 2021 season tip-off, and that's based on local regulations in each city. Uh, an amount of fans under protocols such as masks, social distancing, coronavirus testing is a goal to start the season. And also, they wouldn't have courtside fans. You know, The closest you could be to the actual court would be 10 to 12 feet away. Uh, and the NBA is targeting now a December 22nd start date. They're close to reaching an agreement to begin just prior to Christmas. Uh, are you surprised that the NHL is not further along like the NBA is in these discussions about when the season may start at this point? Um, I, I think that every league works on its own timetable and they have their own, you know, unique situation. Um, you know, there were, I mean, I mean, the, 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 the NHL style bubble certainly, it certainly worked testing wise. Obviously there were, there were no cases, um, you know, but, but I think that uh, finding, I mean, the NHL has, some unique challenges to work through, particularly uh, with, with the border issue, you know, and, and uh, it's not a case of where, you know, you know, you're, I mean, you might have, you might have, you might have to realign your divisions, you know, because the border doesn't sound like it's going to be reopened anytime soon. Certainly, certainly not going to be by January 1st. So that's when the NHL is, is still aiming to start uh, or, you know, at some point in January. So I think there's, a, there, there's, there are layers of other things the NHL has to work through. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, and certainly they want to begin with fans in the stands where, where local regulations will permit that. But I think that, you know, I think in some in some context, it's apples, it's apples, to oranges. On the other hand, there might be some things that the NHL could could take from, you know, from an NBA plan that they might be able to adapt to themselves. But I think that, it's, uh, you know, I think each each league and each sport is a, is a little bit unique. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it would be it would be nice now that we're in November if there was you know, a little further along, it's okay when, when at least, you know, when at least the target date for training camps to start and, and those kind of things. And, you know, the other thing, another thing too, though, that the NBA does not have to figure out is, you know, they don't, they don't have farm teams. You know, the, one of the things is, I know the American league is targeting an early February start. Um, you know, if the NHL were to begin in January, what do you do with those players? Do you expand rosters? How does that affect, you know, what, what, what's a flat cap in the league? Are those players not counting on your salary cap? You know, for, so, I mean, all, all these things, you know, all these things are unique to the NHL and, and all need to be worked through. Um, once they get the committee up and up and rolling and, and start, you know, start really working out how the format is going to look and, and all those other kind of ancillary issues, hopefully it can move 
relatively fast. They do have they do have something of a model they could work on from you know from the first return to play. So you know I, I'm I think we're all just sitting on pins and needles waiting waiting for some you know uh, substantive news. Yeah, Bill, the one thing, let me ask you this, because this is an interesting angle of discussion. I know the players are going to have more money, obviously, tied up in escrow, which they're not going to see because yeah. revenues aren't going to be uh, what, what they, you know, the half of the HRR based on the fact that we're not going to start with full buildings and, and, and the like with the flat salary cap. Um, could, could there be a situation in this return to play? You know, one of the things that we lauded the NHL and the PA for in the original return to play to, to hand out the cup was that they did it with such class and uh, it didn't get ugly, at, at least, you know, to the public at, at any way, shape or form. But you got a situation now uh, where there may be no fans in some buildings are limited and closed border. And, you know, teams, players want to play every game because they get paid per game uh, because yep. if they play less games, then that's a further reduction on their salary. Uh, could this be an area that has a, a lot of sticking point, a lot of uh, back and forth because owners don't want to play all those games when they can't earn the revenue of having people in the building, uh, lim- you know, mitigating their losses per se, uh, while the players are going to want to play those games, regardless of anybody's there or not. No, absolutely. And I mean, there's, you know, there's also the, the uh, TV Avenue to it as well, because they do have, you know, they do have a, an obligation for a certain number of dates, but I mean, if, but if you're talking about, particularly in some markets, where there's not going to be fans in the stands, it's it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a, it's going to be a loss to, to be able to to you know to hold the games in, in empty stands and, you know, and I mean the NHL doesn't have one of the more lucrative TV contracts, lucrative contracts, you know, um, compared to other sports as well. I, I think that uh, you know the number of games um, may end up being a being a compromise number if they can't get in 82 games. And, and of course the other part of it too is, uh, you know, let's, let's say we're looking at a late January start. If January 1st doesn't seem to be realistic, um, you know, how late into the summer do you, do you want to go? Um, you know, I, I think that every league would ideally like to get back on a pretty regular off season and begin seasons reasonably on time. Even if the season were to begin a little later moving forward, but I, I, you know, but I don't think they they want to be starting every season, you know, the at the end of the calendar year into January. I mean, the late the later and later and later you go into the summertime, then how's your off season going to look? And I mean, also listen too. Truthfully, the uh, the the numbers in the pandemic are going to still dictate a lot of it. The, you know, all the all the best laid plan, plans can be put out, but if the numbers don't support having fans in the stands or being able to hold the games, they may they may end up having to wait. I mean, we're looking, I mean, presently at about was a hundred thousand cases a day nationally over the, you know, uh, over the last few days. And that trend seems to continue at least till, you know, till vaccine and all, all these things that are really beyond any league's control start to resolve a little bit as to, you know, when this may be available, you know, and, and I, so I do think they'd like to buy a little time and have a little, have a little sense of what they may be looking at, you know, a month out, two months out. But I do think that, um, you know, ultimately, though, ultimately, I, I think it's in everybody's best interest to get in as many games as possible. And ultimately, you know, to get back to the original question, I, I think there may be a compromise number of games, whether that's, whether that's 82 or 60 or, or whatever the case might be, you know, but I, I think that they will they'll have to, uh, both sides will have to come to agreement. Um, you know, I think there may be some, 
difference between the the PA and the league, but I I, I would think, and I would certainly hope that it's a, a gap they can bridge. Yeah, certainly something that's going to be uh, widely talked about uh, with the rollbacks and and you know less games means prorated and that means less money. Uh, Bill, uh, you just alluded to it. I mean, the world's a crazy place. It's election week. We're going to talk about that in a hockey sense in a minute, but um, we're looking for positive news as well. Uh, Nolan Patrick participated in yet another scrimmage. I think he's participated in four now up in uh, Manitoba. Uh, I'm looking at this as this, this has got to be a positive thing. I know these are not, you know, full contact scrimmages, Right. But there's a lot of compete out there on that ice from him and, and other high level players. And uh, it just leads me to believe that if if he was in uh, any kind of peril in playing or in, in that situation, he wouldn't be out there to the tune of now four scrimmages. Uh, is this good news or am I just reaching? No, I, I mean, it's uh, it's good news in that, uh, you know, he, he's out there on the ice regularly. Um, you know, listen, it, it's, uh, you know, it's the November equivalent of summer hockey. No one is, no one is checking. Nobody's, you know, but on the other hand, there, as you said, there, there is compete out there and, and no one wants to get embarrassed. No one wants to lose. And, you know, all, all those kind of things. Nobody's, you know, we're not looking for how many goals and assists he has. We're looking for how he's holding up physically. You know, uh, will he be, you know, is he experiencing any kind of setbacks? Because if he does, if he were to, Right, he, I mean, he would he would be shut down, and the fact that he's continuing to uh, you know to participate, that he's continuing to work out in the gym and and to skate regularly, I mean, all, all these are good things. They they all point to a player who's getting ready for a training camp, and um, you know we're we'll get it. Like I think get a little better answers once they're in in contact drills and and you know competing more in a, in a camp kind of situation. But, you know, there, there have been no setbacks. Um, you know, as you said, he's participating regularly. So, you know, so it is uh, it is good news, uh, considering particularly where he was, you know, uh, a year ago at this time. And the fact that through the course of the season, I mean, he was a, he was a non-contact participant in a couple practices, but he never had a, a true full practice. He was never skating with regular line mates or anything like that. I think that it's a night and day difference compared to where he was a year ago. So, you know, all the signs up to this point seem to be positive. The crazy thing is he hasn't played a hockey game since April of 2019. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Crazy. It was the last week of the season. He played a game in Dallas. And uh, then I think there were two games left in the season against St. Louis and then home against Carolina. I think with the final two games, he didn't play in either of those. So it's been, uh, you know, it's been, it's been since late two seasons ago since he's even been in a game. So it's, it's pretty crazy. And he said, it's like calendar wise too. It's, it's wild to think about it. Yeah. I just, I uh, just put it in my uh, countdown app and it says it was one year, 215 days ago that he last played. Wow. <laughs> That's incredible. Wow. Um, but but yeah. certainly good news that he, he is out there scrimmaging and look, these aren't just uh, shinny hockey scrimmages that the, the group that he's out there playing with is highly skilled and a lot of really good players. So uh, we hope the best and w- what it means. We don't know. We, we just really don't know what that's going to mean yeah. all said and done when he gets in the camp. And if he can get out there on the ice, when they do start a season, that's when we'll really kind of get our answer there. Uh, Bill, the, the reason why I want to get you on is because on hockeybuzz.com I saw, uh, that they they were going through this exercise, you know, in, in light of the presidential election and looking back at where your team was four years ago and where they are now. So I decided to stretch it a little bit further. 
to look at where the Flyers were four years ago. It was actually Dave Haxtell's rookie season, 2015-16, and where they are now and where they're going in the next term, if you will, Um, in the next four years under Chuck Fletcher and uh, Elaine Vigneault is the bench boss. And we all hope everybody's still here in four years and things are going great. And certainly they're trending in that direction. But first, let's look back to four years ago, because as I mentioned, it was Dave Haxtell's uh, rookie year with the Flyers. And they had a good season. They went 41, 27, and 14. They had 96 points. They made the playoffs. Um, but when you look back at four years ago and where this team was, what, what are the big key differences for you? To me, the first thing that pops out is just depth in roster and skill. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, the, uh, you know, some of the core group now is, is the same as then, but uh, just, just the, just the Flyers ability to, to roll six defensemen, um, even a seventh guy, if you, you know, if you have, uh, you know, if you have to substitute somebody um, to me, one of the biggest changes in addition to depth is that, they, that it's now a homegrown defense for many years, the Flyers had to basically, you know, bring in their most or their entire defense core from outside the organization. Um, you know, if you, if you look at the defense core now, it's mostly guys who were drafted and developed through the Flyers. Um, you know, at least two thirds of your blue line is that way. And, you know, if you, if you include guys like, like Shane Gossespierre and, and Robert Haig, you know, you really, you know, and, uh, and Friedman. So if you look at the current group of top, you know, the current, you'd say the, the top eight on the depth chart, um, Gossipson and, and Braun would be the only two guys who were brought in from the outside. Everybody else has developed through the Flyers. And that was, hmm. you know, that was, that was not the case four years ago. Um, you know, you, you had Provorov just coming into the league at that point, but, you know, but then, and, and uh, you know, Zerling Ghost's career, but they, but if you look at if you look at the blue line as a whole, they had to they had to bring in a lot of guys from the outside at that point. That's been that's been a big difference. Um, you know, four years ago the team was um, they were still in rebuilding mode and, and still trying to build up the farm system. And, and a lot of the pieces that have fallen into place have been you know players that were drafted here. We're, we're just kids at that point, and some hadn't even been drafted at all yet. So you know, so the team has gone from being in a uh, partial rebuilding mode to being, you know, to being a team that now has uh, a, a little bit of the core in transition, but I think that it's uh, it's a deeper, better group. Um, you know, the, uh, you know, if you go back to, um, if you go back to four years ago, uh, the goaltending was, uh, you know, there was a little back and forth as to whether Mason was the number one or or, or Neuvirth. I think yeah, I think, I think yeah. it was here Neuvirth stole two games in that series against the Capitals. Correct. But you know, but I mean, you know, the, the goaltending at that time sometimes played at a very high level, um, but at other times it was you know at other times it struggled, and you know both goalies are injury prone. Mason missed time, and, and Neuvirth, of course, was, was chronically injured. So there wasn't the depth in net, and there was there wasn't there wasn't a Carter Carter Hart you know Carter Hart wasn't even a blip on the radar screen yet at that point. So and you know, I think the goaltending was certainly <laughs> yeah yeah exactly exactly. So you know he wasn't even in the system yet. He was still playing for Everett, and uh, you know <laughs> and was putting together a WHO goalie of the year season, but you know wasn't a, wasn't on any NHL radar to be you know a guy who'd be arrive arriving in a short time at that point. So. You know, I, I think all of those things you have to say the team is better off than it was four years ago. And you know, with with total res, you know with total respect to, to Dave Haxtell, who I think in a lot of ways got a, you know, <laughs> he got criticized for something some things he deserved to be criticized for, and, and some things were not his fault. Uh, but I think that if you look at the coaching situation now, 
you had a coaching staff then. You didn't have a single coach on that staff who had NHL head coaching experience, right? Now you have a, a staff filled with guys who have NHL head coaching experience. Um, you have a, a, a five-time, um, you know, a five-time Jack Adams Award finalist, one-time winner as the head coach. So, you know, with respect to Dave Haxall, I think they've upgraded the coaching staff as well. And I mean, again, I think, I think both ways you look at the team, they are better off now than they were four years ago. Yeah. Couple that with the, the prospect cupboards, if you will. And the fact yeah, that the draft sure. picks and, and all those uh, elements as well uh, that aren't, maybe aren't necessarily what people see when they go to an arena, provided we can go to an arena. Um, but yeah. And that's also the year they draft Carter Hart and he's going to be such a big part of that. Uh, when you look at the team now, Bill, four years later, obviously there's a lot of change in pro sports on the ice, off the ice. But when you look at really what has changed, and you mentioned that core of defense, and I've always been a, a firm believer uh, that you build from your crease out. And Carter Hart, they draft in the second round of that draft. He was the first goalie taken in the 2016 NHL entry draft. He's developed. He's already now going to be heading into a third year where he has played NHL games wow. when they do resume, which is incredible. Um, and to me, this is the biggest key to success in the next four years as well, is how they handle uh, kind of the, the continued development at the NHL level of Carter Hart, because now you know you have the guy, the guy that's capable of, of, of doing what they've been looking to do for so long on the ice, off the ice and in, in dealing with the media and the pressure that comes with not only the position, but the position in Philadelphia. Uh, but for him to achieve all of the, you know, all of the, the, the skill set and what he'll bring to the table uh, it's going to have to be nurtured and it's going to have to be handled the right way. Um, is, is that stick out as to you as one of the, the most important elements of success for this team over the next four years? Yeah, I would say that that's, that's one of the two most crucial elements. I think you articulated really, really well. Um, I, I would say the, the other crucial thing is that, you know, one area, I'm not going to say they're, they're not better off, but, uh, but uh, four years ago, you knew who your core group was, right? And uh, now these players are, are four years older. Um, you know, most of them are in their thirties. Sean Couturier being the exception who's getting into his late twenties over the next four years. Some of these players are going to move into smaller roles. Some may no longer be in the organization by, by that, you know, by that, by that point in time, um, who is going, who's going to be the next group that steps up and, and, you know, is your core group. Um, now you know you're hoping Nolan Patrick is healthy and and uh, you know he gets his career on on track and works back towards that. Um, you know, uh, I said Couturier, you know, is in his late twenties now. He's still in his prime, but as you're getting you know three four years out, you know he he's going to be in, in that group of players who's uh, in his thirties by that point. You know, is Morgan Frost going to be uh, you know be part of that core group? Um, what steps will Konechny take over that point in time. So I think, you know, there's going to be a changing of the guard as to who your team leadership group is and who your, you know, who your core group of forwards are. Um, and, you know, there are other prospects in the system. Joel Farabee, is he going to be, you know, part of that part of that core at the top of your lineup or is he going to be a nice support piece? Uh, you know, there's a reason to be optimistic about a lot of these young players, but these are things that have to take shape over the over that period of time as to who's going to be that that next group that leads the team. Um, and that's, you know, that's, that's an unknown. That, that's a, that's a developing story, a work in progress as, as we go along. Obviously, you know, you'll bring in a few veterans here and there as well. But I think that's one of the things that I think along with uh, just continuing to 
you know, have, have a rock of strength and goal and, and um, competing through strong team D because that's, that keeps the team competitive, even with just average offense. Uh, but I, but I think that in terms of the forward group, you know, how is that going to continue to take shape? And that to me is the other, is the other key, you know, to these next four years. Yeah, yeah, it's very well said. Uh, I think one of the big keys for Carter Hart is that it, it is the word I would use would be insulating him with good, uh, uh, solid defensive players, uh, your your defensemen, and also a defensive system uh, that lends to success and doesn't leave a goalie, you know, having to fight off a ton of uh, high danger chances game in and game out. And sure. therefore then developing some bad habits. But uh, if we know anything about his habits, uh, they're pretty flawless. Um, Bill, the other thing is, are you a firm believer? Because you just mentioned to it, and we're looking at the next four years. Um, Claude Giroux, 32 now. Um, he's got a couple of years left on his Flyers deal. Couturier is a star talent and an incredible player, won the Selkie, 200-foot player, does it all, a coach's dream. But he's not necessarily a face that you'd put on the marquee because those types of players – you know, don't get people as excited as I think they should, <laughs> but uh, being a goalie, because uh, I love when a guy like that's on the ice, but, <laughs> but, you know, having that, that, that face of the organization and Claude Drew has been the face since Mike Richards and Jeff Carter were traded uh, for so long now, how important is that element for not only just from a marketing standpoint, but just to have that star player and star in the city? Well, it's all, it's always, it's always a good thing. You know, if you have that, it, it, it helps from a marketing standpoint. It just excitement, you know, it, right? It, it, I mean, it, it, it's good. A lot. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's uh, an important thing in, in a lot of different ways. But, you know, on the, on the flip side of that is that, uh, you know, I mean, some of the most beloved teams in Flyers history were those mid 1980s teams. And, you know, there's, there's one Hall of Famer in the batch it was Mark Howe, was a quiet Hall of Famer, you know. Um, team leader, you know, best defenseman in team history, but, you know, but he wasn't, he wasn't, you could say he was the face of the franchise. I mean, I, you know, Hexy, I guess was the face of the franchise for, for a while. Um, but I mean, you know, you, you had some outstanding players there, Brian Prop, Tim Kerr, you know, Dave Poulin, but none of, none of these guys were the, the, the real big superstars, the Gretzky's, the Lemuse, right. Yeah. But, uh, you know, but the team won. I, I think that's the, I think that's ultimately, you know, Ultimately, that that's the key. You know, you, you can you can sign star town. It's great to have that marquee, you know, once in a generation player, you know, and you, you enjoy their careers as they go along and they can help keep you, you know, relevant for a long period of time. But ultimately, it comes down to this. Whatever group you have together, you know, do you have the depth to win? If, if you win, particularly in Philadelphia, you know, I, I think, you know, I, I think the support is there. And, uh you know, if if there isn't that that really perennial, you know, uh, Hart Trophy candidate and, and the guy who has the league wide visibility, uh, you know, it, it's I, I think that that uh, it's something you you can work around. But certain, certainly, if you have that Eric Lindros type, who you know, even a casual fan who who couldn't name three other guys on the team, but they know, you know, they know Eric Lindros. You know, uh, I, I think that it's it's ideal if you can get it. Uh, it's very hard to script out getting getting such a player, particularly particularly if you're not, uh, you know, nobody tr- nobody trades their lottery picks anymore, really. Unless you know, the Pittsburgh Penguins, and uh, you know, no, they're not picking the lottery yet. But um, you know, but 
it's something where, you know, I, I just, it's just harder and harder and harder to get those players. Unless you happen to luck out in the lottery and, and luck out in a year where that kind of player happens to be available. So, you know, nobody's, nobody's training Connor McDavid. Right. So it's, uh, it's very hard to bring in such a kind of, such a player. If you're able to do it, fantastic. If, if you're not work with what you have. And I think you can have a lot of success and a lot of support. You know, if, if you, if your best players are just, you know, in the, that next group down. You're right. Nobody's going to trade a Connor McDavid, or the, nobody's going to trade. Well, I was going to say Jack Eichel, but maybe that's not the case. Or or an Austin. You're right. Maybe that's <laughs> Buffalo exempted from this conversation, <laughs> but they may want to trade a player a notch below, and that's a guy like Patrick Kleine at 22 years old. Um, right. And he's certainly a face, hopefully without that crazy looking beard he had a few years ago in the playoffs that you could put on the marquee. And he's a, he's just a player that would get people excited. Um, so, I mean, that's obviously something that's, that's been talked about. We've talked about it, uh, but how do you, you know, you mentioned Ron Hextall was uh, kind of the face because he carried himself with, with an attitude and bravado that Philly loves Carter Hart doesn't yeah. carry himself on the ice that way. Um, he's very under control where Hex, <laughs> he was kind of the opposite of that, but uh, Carter Hart can be that guy on the marquee. I would imagine. Couldn't he? Oh, certainly. If you, uh, you know, wins a Vezina contends for Vezina flyers get to a cup final then then all of a sudden yeah you, you know he, he has the hype of being you know uh, a superstar goalie a, a, a carry price type now uh you know i i think that i think that certainly uh you know but uh but of course the flip side of that too though is that again that's all tied in with the team winning yep you know if you, you can have uh you can have that superstar player but if you're but if you're as far as you get as the second round of the playoffs then a little bit of the you know, a little bit of the luster comes off of that too. It it ultimately comes down again to to how the uh, how the team does, um, you know. And, and listen, I mean Philadelphia Philadelphia can be a you know the the best place in the world for a player. On the other hand, if if you have a, if you have that superstar player and uh, you know if that superstar player's teams don't get to the promised land, then all of a sudden you know then then uh, you know then the question marks start with the guy and and. Uh, you know, I mean, listen. I mean, uh, in some ways, all talk is good talk, right? If if you're, but I mean, I remember, I remember, you know, during during Eric's career here. I mean, the Flyers got the one Cup final and they didn't win any games in that final, and you know, and then there was questions. Okay, well, he had the he had the great regular seasons and whatnot, and even had some great playoffs. But ultimately, he's judged. You know, ultimately, he's judged by his role in in the team's level of success. So again, it always comes back to the team. Yeah, and as a generational player, uh, that that's what you bank on delivering the cup, and uh, certainly that's that's been the case for a lot of generational players, albeit not all of them. Um, the, the the other thing too, when, when you look at that, and you know, you look at Carter Hart being the face on the marquee, and look, the Flyers have had a lot of 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 the right guy, but at the wrong time, really big names. Like the, there was yeah. an, there was a lot of being enamored with what guys have done, whether it was Adam Oates or. Dale Howard yeah. Chuck or, you know, just the right guy, but the Paul coffee, I mean, the list goes on and on. We could go for days, Bill. Yeah. Uh, they had the right guys, but just had them at the wrong point in their career <laughs> chasing yeah. that. Or, so or, yeah. Or in some cases, yeah. In some cases like Patrick Sharp, just too early. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. There's a few. So, of them. Yeah. It's uh, it, yeah. Or, or the, you know, or famous last name, wrong brother. <laughs> you know, yeah, that yeah. happens sometimes too. Um, what, what but, the thing um, is, you know, yeah, it, it's so, so much of it is the, you know, is the, is the timing. So it's, uh, you know, but, uh, 
Yeah, you know, it, it, uh, I mean, it's inevitable the Flyers at some point again will have that kind of player, but you can't say it's going to be four years. You can't, you know, you can't put a timetable on that. I think that, uh, I think that you, you focus on the things that are under your control. And listen, sometimes you have to make that really bold move. I mean, the Flyers, again, going back to the Lindros here, since he was the last player of that stature who was here, you know, the Flyers probably would have gotten back into the playoffs sooner had they held on to the pieces that they had and not made the Eric Lindros trade. Ultimately, though, they, they build a, you know, they build a contender around him, but it, it probably delayed that process by a couple of years just because of how much they were trading away to get him. And so you had to, you had to rebuild the farm system a little bit. You had to put other pieces around them, um, you know, but, but the, the bottom line was when they, you know, when that opportunity was there, they made that bold move and they, you know, they made the acquisition. So, you know, I, I think sometimes you, sometimes you have to be patient, but by the same time, when opportunity knocks, you have to be aggressive sometimes and going after that opportunity because it's going to be a long time until it comes around again. Yeah, and to get that opportunity to take a generational player, you're going to have to really stink and get a little luck in the lottery, uh, pending lottery reform in the NHL uh, to land that. We hope that doesn't happen. We hope the team is competing for a cup. So which brings me to the last thing I want to talk about, Bill. So in the next four years, um, you know, everybody wants to know, we got the goalie, uh, you got a good young core, you got good, fabulous young defensemen and Ivan Provorov, Sanheim and Myers. Uh, you have these young players, and you mentioned Nolan Patrick. We're hoping that he's able to get his career back on track and health-wise and, and all of those elements. And Konechny continues to develop, and the addition of Kevin Hayes is, is a good one for multiple years and a long time to come. So in the next four years, uh, you know, every team in the NHL is not due to win a Stanley Cup every 31 years because there's 31 teams. You know, the Rangers right. uh, had the huge drought and finally won in 94, but haven't won since. The Maple Leafs haven't won a cup since – uh, that the league expanded beyond six teams. <laughs> so it, it's yeah. not a right to get to a final and win a cup. Uh, is this a team that in the next four years will have uh, an opportunity or multiple opportunities to, to hoist that thing? Uh, I think there'll be a window of opportunity to be able to do that. You know, you need, uh, you know, it, to me, to me, building a, a team that gets to a final or wins a cup, you know, it's, it's 75% good design. And the other 25% is uh, good luck, not getting in, you know, not being hit by a rash of injuries at the wrong time. You know, you need some favorable matchups along the way because every team has at least one club that can beat them in in the best of seven series. And, you know, you also have to peak at the right time of the season too. But it's, uh, yeah, I think there will be a window of opportunity where, you know, where there'll be enough depth and the goaltending and the pieces there where, the team can get to a final, then the chips are going to fall wherever they are. Because, you know, obviously if you get to the finals, you're, you know, you're, you're playing, you know, playing a team that, that came out of their own conference. So, you know, I mean, the Flyers have had teams along the way that have been good enough. I think 2003-04, uh, the Flyers had a fantastic opportunity to, to win the cup that year and they didn't even get to the finals. They lost in seven games in the conference final. Um, you know, you, you can even look at other sports. And I, I've, I've said this to people too, that, you know, the Phillies won in 80, but their their best team from that era was probably in 77. That team, that team lost in the divisional playoff. And it's just, yeah, you know, I, I think that um, the league championship series, I should say. And um, so, you know, I, I think that, I think they have the opportunity to do it. There, there are never any guarantees. If you're looking for guarantees, you know, uh, <laughs> sports in general, but hockey in particular, you know, are, are not, the, not the place to look. But I think there'll be a window of opportunity where, you know, they'll have the depth, they'll have the pieces in place where if the other elements come together, they get that little bit of 
good luck at the right time and you know uh, an unexpected hero hero or two in a, in a big game that can swing a series yeah i think that he will be capable of doing just that and and making a deep run and i remember talking to craig barubi uh during the nhl pause on uh my other podcast and he said to win that cup that you know we lead, we need a lot of luck too <laughs> you really do you yeah. need some bounces to go your way because uh, the the difference between moving on and around and, and not moving on uh, can be as you know a goal off the rump at a timely situation you never right. know. Oh, oh right or you know so that skate that's uh, you know on an offside play that's either just on or just off the yeah. blue line and you know, it doesn't get overturned on a challenge or in a game that ultimately goes overtime or you win or you lose I mean that can decide a series and you you can't you can't map those things out they're just going to happen yeah, they just have to play out in the way that they play out. Bill, this was awesome, man. A lot of fun. The next four years, uh, we're hoping it's going to be a lot of fun. And we're all looking forward uh, to the game getting back on the ice here as quickly as possible, get the NHL hockey flowing again. I'm I'm going through the withdrawal symptoms, as I know you are, and I know everybody listening is as well. Thanks for doing this as always, and uh, we'll definitely talk again soon. Awesome. Yeah, it was fun. Thanks to Bill Meltzer for joining us on this episode of Flyers Daily. We'll be back Monday. Another brand-new episode comes your way Monday And uh, we'll start you off the week right with a little hockey talk, a little Flyers talk. Everybody have a great weekend. Stay healthy. And we'll talk on the next episode of Flyers Daily.